0: This is Fragmented Reality, a digital bulletin podcast designed to bust the buzzwords that dominate enterprise technology. My name is Ben Mouser, and for this episode I take my clutch of eggs, each containing an industry buzzword, to Lee James, Chief Technology Officer for EMEA at Rackspace. Okay, Lee. We're recording now. Do you want to crack Um, open your first? He's gone gone for a pink one. Uh, Yeah, I've gone
1: for a pink one. Actually, you should do this blindfolded. That would be quite good fun.
0: (laughs) Wow. Um, First one is blockchain. (laughs) What a special buzzword (laughs) to get started (laughs) with. I think, first of all, Lee, I mean, with blockchain, people do, you know, tend to associate it with the financial services industry and, th- and think of cryptocurrency yeah, and that kind of do. thing. Obviously the use cases are going to broaden as blockchain technology develops. In terms of your specific industry and use cases that you might um, experience, wh- where do you sit on blockchain?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I actually read an article about blockchain in the BA magazine on the way over, on mm-hmm. the flight over, the, um, so a, a bit more kind of information, I, I might be a bit dangerous with it. <laughs> um, you're right actually, blockchain has been very much a, a kind of financial services led discussion, mm-hmm. but I think it's really interesting when you look into other industries such as the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. When you're looking to develop cures or you're looking to develop vaccines etc but they're going across multiple different companies the ability to track those is really important. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure that you're looking at blockchain in the right way and the fact that it's just giving you a, a a system of record but one that can be guaranteed. So, actually, it has so many use cases, whether it is information, whether it's vaccines, whether it is financial services. Mm-hmm. But it also could come down to our identity and our own information in terms of how that's been shared. Do you know, I look into the future and think, actually, well, I have a blockchain ID. Do you know, today it's managed by a credit score, and I get an alert from Equifax every month telling me whether there's been any web detects. But mm-hmm. imagine that then being an identity. Something that can be alleged against, and something that can be controlled and managed by you. Mm-hmm. So I think we've only just seen the infancy of it. Like like anything on the hype curve, it's gone straight into you know massive hype, and then now hit a, a disillusionment phase. But will now come out of the other side, which is how can we practically start to use it, and how can it be how can it be beneficial? do you think the hype will eventually be
0: justified then? Is that what you're saying?
1: I think it will. I, I think we'll start to see, I mean, ultimately, like I said, it's a certified system of record for, for customers and companies. And as more and more, as we, we, especially in the security space, especially around data, and as I've mentioned around identity, I think it'll become absolutely critical, especially when you're using cloud services as well. I mean, we, we see a, a future where IT is just going to be a utility. It's been something that, again, the panacea that we've we've been looking forward to, where we could just plug in any cloud and then move our workloads around. But most importantly, you're actually moving the data around as well. So being able to encapsulate that data, understand where it is at any time, and have a record of that data, regardless of where it sits, how it sits, and what geography it's on, Mm -hmm. is going to be absolutely critical. So I think we're very much kind of in its infancy. But again, I think that
0: disillusionment there is because we all got really excited, and then it was like, actually, what's the use case again? Mm Yeah. Do you think, as someone who works across across technologies, do you think there's enough knowledge about uh, what blockchain is, how it works, right now? Or do you think we need to upskill the workforce to understand this quite complex technology?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. As, as I mentioned at the beginning, I I sit down on my plane to come over to Barcelona this week, and actually the front page of the BA Life magazine is all about blockchain. Mm-hmm. That's the first real time I've actually seen it in what I'd class as a standard consumer magazine. So actually in having that model and being able to provide it to anybody who's sat in that chair, I think is, is the next step in terms of education. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've seen many things happen around blockchain and we've seen many things happen around cryptocurrencies, for example. But you, you ask, you go and speak to my children or speak to my wife, who I always look at, as, on as the, um, as a kind of bastion of sensible information. She just look at me going, I've got no idea. So I think the education piece is going to be critical and, and bringing it to publications such as BA and
0: others is going to be really useful. Do you feel final question on blockchain before we move on to another egg do you feel like there are instances where people might feel they need to be seen to be exploring blockchain technology because it is such a, a big buzzword and something people want to be um, seen to be you know having an interest in is yeah I fair? think you
1: should I, I think if I spin it around a little bit of, in a different way you should always have an opinion do you know whether that, whether those services actually to come to maturity or fruition is, is, it, is a different matter but, but actually, if you look at why the technology was developed, it was about that system of record. It was about understanding what happens and where. And it being a truthful kind of position of, of, of what's happening with that data. And I think that's, that's hugely important. Do you know, especially when you look at now cryptocurrencies coming through. And those currencies are independent of a of a government or a particular country, we then got to start looking at how we control and manage and understand that data. Mm-hmm. So I think having an opinion and seeing how it can be applied and that's the only way that we, we test and understand and verify. So I, th- I think it's good that people are talking about it. I do think into 2020, we'll see some more education happening, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but I do think it'll start to then be looked on as how can we use it in
0: different areas, not just financial services. Absolutely, and that, that is going to be the key thing for me looking at the the industries where it will have C- serious serious impact you mentioned the pharmaceutical industry as well really interesting stuff should we go for another yeah for another, egg? For
1: another egg i feel like blockchain's for, a good
0: one to get started with it is, i feel uh, like
1: going for all the pink ones but i, don't, I just don't want to we've gone for a green one this time
0: green. the egg has hatched What? Has i emerging? feel
1: that you should be putting um uh, fortune cookies in here as well just <laughs> to give me something to munch on while i'm kind of opening it Energy.
0: Up. <laughs> The future of work. The future of work, okay. <laughs> this is obviously a, a quite a broad concept. When, when you hear the phrase future of work, what, what, what comes to your mind? What do you, how would you define that?
1: It's, um, it's really interesting. I've yeah. actually just done a, a big presentation and an article that's just gone out around um, Fortnite, the game. And, and many people have discussed Fortnite and it's, um, but the reason I discuss Fortnite, I have, I have three boys um, mm. that play Fortnite on a regular basis. Um, one of them is just amazing at it. Dad tries to have a go. Um,
0: curr- is Dad amazing at it?
1: Dad is uh, <laughs> plays one game mode called Team Rumble, for <laughs> anybody that's listening to Fortnite. Um, currently sits at tier 63, um, and he's doing OK. Um, I am quite proud every now and again when I do a certain shot and you can actually save a clip. And if I ever show it to my sons and they go, that was okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel the proudest person alive. Validated. <laughs> I have been validated. But um, the reason I talk about it and the reason I've been um, discussing it, and I, I presented at the CIO Summit in London just recently on, in essence, the future of work. Because how my 10 year olds engage in Fortnite and how they engage across boundaries mm-hmm. and how they talk to their friends and how they engage is so different to what the engagement model was like when I grew up. Mm-hmm. So let's just go into that in a, in a little bit more detail. I have a 10 year old with a headset on that is, doesn't care where they, are, where they are currently based. They don't have to be sat in a desk or a cubicle or a particular office. They're just being them in their environment. They're engaging with people of different ages, but they have a common purpose and a common goal. There's transparency around democracy. There is also the uh, performance-related aspects of it as well, in the fact that they will openly judge the performance of each other to say, how can you get better? Mm -hmm. They're trying to help each other as well. And they're being very visual. That's the future of work for me. We see it in organisations such as Netflix and various others that have squads and tribes together but actually it's now spreading itself across many, many enterprises. And how people want to have an association and more of a, a feeling and a touch towards work as well. This isn't just about going to work. This is about actually believing in the common goal of the business that you work for. You know, it's having a passion about it as well. And I think that's going to be the future of work as well. It's going to be no longer, it's my job. It's actually I'm doing this because I'm really passionate
0: about it. Yeah. What role do you think technology will have in the workplace? And obviously enabling um, flexible working and um, remote working, that kind of thing as well. Oh, I'm going to use the best buzzword ever in the
1: fact, it may be one (laughs) of the eggs, but um, it just makes everything quite ubiquitous. Because the fact is, it it doesn't matter where you are. You've now got technology to be able to... uh, to engage both I mean we all we're doing video we're doing a podcast today for example but the ability to use things like aug- augmented reality I used to work at BP and some of the work that they used to do in terms of what they do today in terms of fixing pipelines for example you know and, and using using augmented reality and different pieces of technology to then augment themselves in terms of what they do and it's becoming normal do you know, we I still got a Zoom call or a, a video conference call today, and still feel quite nervous yeah. you know, about what I'm going to say. Or it still feels weird. <laughs> but but actually, to my ten-year-olds, that that's just welcome. That that's just our life and what we do.
0: This this change and it's big change, isn't it? It's, it's cultural change. Big organisations are having it to is. embrace this new way of thinking and new way of working. Where do you think we are on that journey? Do you think some industries are, f- you know, further ahead than others in embracing this new way of working?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's been very much. Um, uh, how can I how can I say it? It's it's been very much led by demand, and what I mean by that is. There's certain industries that will take longer to change because actually some of them don't need to change. In the manufacturing industry, we've now seen huge amounts of technology being used around IoT and sensor information across the whole of the supply chain, but, and a lot of automation as well, but fundamentally it's still a manufacturing plant. Do you know, but actually when you now go to the offices to enable that free thinking around automation and the sensor information and what we do around data analytics, the offices now a more open plan. Do you know, the offices now are more, uh, they're more fun, actually. Do you know, they, certain work environments or certain areas of the, say, a floor, for example, have been decorated in a certain
0: team style. Do you know, they have a lot more personality about them. The power is almost in the hands of the employees, isn't it? Rather than the, you know, corporate leadership, it's, it's the power is in the hands of the workers. Yeah, hugely
1: right. as well. And if you look at what, um, if you speak to, many different millennials have many different opinions. We all do but corporate and social responsibility is, is, is becoming such an important decision point for people in terms of the future of the work and where they want to work. Mm -hmm. And many industries are embracing that more in terms of like, this is our corporate and social responsibility. This is what we do with inside a community.
0: Yeah, you end up with more enriched, empowered employees and productivity goes up as most like cases would demonstrate, you know, that's, it's a win-win, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I always say at the end of my my Fortnite presentation, you know, make your teams and your departments a place where people want
0: to work, not because they have to. It's definitely an exciting time, isn't it? Right, it let's is. move on to number three. Right, on to the next Onto one. On the next one, a yellow egg. Going for a yellow one this time. Silos. Silos, <laughs> okay, so silos, obviously you, you can talk about silos with regards to an organizational structure and the trouble that you might have there, or you can talk about data and data silos. So on the mm. first point, um, in, te- in, in tech companies and tech departments, Are silos still like a common problem? Because there are obviously different ways of working, different methodologies. But do you find that there's still an issue with silos? Yeah, it's a it's it's a really good point. I uh, yes, I think
1: just a really quick answer. Yeah. And I think some of it has to do with size. Mm -hmm. Do you know wherever you go, if you we all look at a small company where everybody works together, we all sit on the same floor. You know, we all are involved in each other's problems. We may have certain responsibilities, but we feel like we're in it together. Mm -hmm. And then the company gets to 50 employees and 100 employees. And then you're delivering multiple different products. And those products automatically, just by definition, become a silo because they're having to then control their own profit and loss and customer demand and understand whether it's still fit for purpose. And yes, then they, they all come back for the greater good in terms of what the company offer, but then we've bang, you've hit a silo. So it's it's really interesting for me where um, actually when I opened the egg and looked at silo my, my immediate kind of feeling was negativity. Yeah. And I, I and
0: Do you and think it, do you think it's unfair that it's got such a negative yeah, I, kind of connotation because Without you know.
1: a doubt I sat there going oh, well I oh hold on I feel quite negative <laughs> about that and actually as, as we were just about to go into it I was kind of having to check myself to go why am I feeling negative because actually I don't believe that silos are a negative okay. do you know I I think That's for really me, interesting. you to deliver service you have to be intimate. Do you know? And while the customer experience is something that I, I always feel that needs to be together, has to be joined up, has to come across where the customer understands what your portfolio is and what services you deliver. And more importantly, what it means for them. Do you know, if, a, if a company can put yourself in the in the shoes of a customer, do you know, you've won. Do you know, it's it's top of mind, it's you you're right there but actually as it it then flows down in terms of the requirements of that customer, it'll automatically go off into a specific requirement. And anything becomes specific, has to become intimate. But we tend to then go, intimate means a silo. And I I think that's, it's not at all, I'd I'd actually change your word to intimacy because actually then it becomes more positive, it becomes more customer focused, it becomes more about what you're trying to deliver. Um, And it's more value based, where silo becomes quite negative, it becomes more almost broken off, not part of the mothership, as so to speak. Yeah. So, so I think for me, um, that intimacy
0: in a, with silos, I think is, is very much a positive aspect. So you're saying there's work to be done. Maybe you can lead the sort of um, the pos- positive regeneration <laughs> of the word silo. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think so. I think yeah. that intimacy is is maybe a better word. I, yeah. I think uh, we with inside our own organisation, we have service lines around our products. There is a huge amount of cross collaboration because of our customers actually take our services via a portal in many cases. And that portal has to then have links into and provide a view of our services of what we offer today. But behind the scenes, I expect our product leaders to be looking at their products all the time in terms of is it customer relevant, is it driving value, is it is it fitting in the marketplace? And some of that can, is their own intimacy. Now then, we then come back together to go, how does this fit as a portfolio of services? But like, like like any organization, whether it's, you know, if, I, if I went to a supermarket, I expect they have a fresh foods division just as much as they have a bakery division, just as much as they have a fruit division. And while they'll all come together for us to be able to walk around and pick each of those different items, they'll be looking at what's loss leading, what's working, what's not working, for example. And they'll be masters of their trade. And that's what I expect them to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and that's really interesting. I think we can move on to another egg after oh, that. We okay. kind of touched on the future of work as well with silos, I think. Yeah, I saw Let's that see one. What, um, see what the fourth egg fourth produces. Fourth one, we've gone
1: for blue, so we've done a full multi-col- <laughs> multicoloured option here to today. The last one is augmented reality. Augmented
0: reality, okay. <laughs> when, when you're considering all of the technologies, new technologies that are potentially going to sort of disrupt enterprises and the way they work where does augmented reality and you know mixed reality virtual reality that that kind of family of technologies sit for you because um most people will probably associate it with consumer um use cases but in terms of its potential to really have an impact what, what do you think of ar yeah
1: it's 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 really interesting that you you mentioned the consumer aspect of it there let me um I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a slight bit of a story um, based on my um, my future work. Like, sorry, my, one of my past work experiences. So, um, in my previous life, I used to work for Betfair, the gambling company. An amazing company! It's actually an exchange. It's almost like a trading floor um, for um, sports betting. And we, um, some of the teams there, were doing some amazing work. And we're actually looking at how to use augmented reality as part of the experience um, for the better. Mm-hmm. So, what we actually looked at was imagine a horse race. Um, And they're coming down to the final fair long. They've just made the last jump and imagine the price Or the odds so to speak on top of the horse's head or on top of the jockey And we actually put that in place really the team actually developed it So imagine you're now on your app and you're watching the horse race live But you are seeing rather than having to go to another screen or scroll down you're actually seeing the price change you know as, as it happens did
0: you convert that into something that was used widely or was it something which fell by the wayside in the end it fell by the wayside right. i mean this was going and that's my point about these kind of um experiments almost with augmented reality virtual reality particularly they, they seem to be very exciting and very um eye-catching yeah but then actually does a customer want it yeah
1: does the thing. consumer want it we we'll be, we, we built a, a well the team built an amazing product at betfair and actually the customer demand was so low. We was actually really excited about it going, this is a first, we're the first betting company to do it. Consumer said, I'm actually quite happy with what I've got, thank you very much. And we are seeing it in other areas. A number of the big providers have now stopped investing into VR headsets. Mm-hmm because actually they're saying from a, an engagement perspective, a gaming perspective, the consumer is, is just not wanting to w- go into that space at this moment in time. It's not exciting enough for them or what they have today is is excellent. Now, I do think there is a space in certain industries for augmented reality. So I think the, the what if scenarios, I think it's especially in either remote locations, hard to reach locations, um, ones where, um, actually it may be dangerous, for example. I think even maybe weather, related i I think that's going to be a a a real good way of being able to use kind of augmented reality
0: so i think it'd be very much um, industry specific as we as we move forward do you think it's a technology that is scalable and would drive big efficiencies across industries or do you think it will remain almost like a sort of side project that that is certainly has, has its place but isn't something which is going to be at the center of a technology sort of revolution for for companies yeah it's a really good question because um it, the
1: the cost-benefit analysis of doing augmented reality is the, the, the cost is higher, so therefore the benefits have to be higher. And the reason why I say the cost is higher, because you are processing a significant amount of information. Do you know, Using some of the, the biggest services on, say, Google, Amazon, or Azure, or on private cloud, around things like GPUs, high-performance computing. the ability to do those calculations over what if requires a huge amount of investment and i think that's why it becomes very specific
0: it's been it's been spoken about quite a while isn't it ar vr it's been in it's it's certainly had a lot of hype there's no doubt about that but um it's it's good to talk about it in detail and actually figure out where where its value lies so should we move on to another move on to another egg Egg number five egg number five let's
1: go Gone back to green again actually not my favorite (laughs) color um Agile, oh Agile. My word. Oh, this is buzzword bingo. Oh, now um, I've just slumped in my chair. I feel <laughs> I
0: feel drawn and tired. Yeah. Now we, we at Digital Bulletin did an interview recently with quite a respected IT leader, and he he said Agile is old hats as a, as a concept, ooh, basically. Ooh, that's that's interesting. interesting. First of all, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, actually, what
1: did he say is a new hat? What I was don't he? know. Well, that was going to be a follow-up question <laughs> to do, so, you, know, maybe a Stetson um, or something. Well, I, I. I these are always going to be buzzwords about how you operate. Agile is really funny because actually it's one of the most structured frameworks yeah. ever. So um, when we was at Betfair, we had a huge amount of DevOps teams, development teams building the apps. You know, one of the first companies to actually bring out an iOS app, um, and the amount of work that goes into that. I mean, it's commonplace today, but back in kind of 2011, 2012, that was quite brand new. Um, but we were agile because we were just talking to each other. Do you know we were agile because actually we were trying and testing and then rolling back and trying and testing the whole idea around minimal viable service and minimal viable products was just that that's the way you have to work there was a term that was used um, a, a, another awful buzzword to, actually was it awful no it's just it does make you win sort a little bit. The term Wajal has been used. <laughs> I've never right? heard of that. Have yep. you never heard of it? No, oh my God. On, um, so Wajal is Waterfall and Agile. Okay. So Agile came in as like, stop doing waterfall projects, i.e. quite iterative, step by step. You need to be just working Agile, right? And you need to be just doing it all now and everybody's working together. <laughs> and actually Agile's not like that at all. It's very structured. But it was seen as the, do you know, the Waterfall was seen as the old hat. You know, don't do a project by stages, you know, like reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. Actually, Wajal is a combination of the two. All projects still need to move and have stages and go on. Yes, you now need to be a lot more iterative and you need to be able to respond to changes that happen a lot more quickly. So the joining of the two, I think, is where maybe the future should be. Because actually it's about two structured frameworks, but it's about being iterative when you need to be. It's about being... um, more structured and more waterfall in its approach, i.e. this step, next step. And I think many projects are, are definitely both. But yeah. it's...
0: Um, it kind of speaks to what we were saying about silos as well, doesn't it? Because it's almost pointless to attach labels like Agile to ways of working because, it it, truthfully, like a successful project, successful implementation requires different ways of working throughout the whole like the the story of that M um, journey you know that yeah
1: it does I, I I think I mean we also talked about earlier in silos just around negativity and positivity in terms of messaging so you, you, while agile is a, a, a definite like top five buzzword in the IT industry again it makes you perk up a little bit it makes you think that we're doing something a little bit different to your point it makes you feel that we're Working together as a team, and we're trying things and testing things.
0: Do you think that, that that's why it's used as a word? Like I don't know if it's IT teams using agile as a buzzword to convince you know executive boards and people and it, it maybe does, that yeah. this is it, how we're doing it, and it. This is a you know we're a forward-thinking, we're an agile organization. Exactly. This, you know, do you think it's used in that way? That's yeah, why it's become a buzzword.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt. Because if you um, let's go back to the old days of enterprises or IT companies, whichever, and when you did a waterfall project, it was like this step, next step, let's do the next step. It's like it's like kind of building a plane do you know you get a model plane it's like step one step two and you get to the end and then you go oh, I've built my plane and so by the end you, you feel somewhat slightly exhausted but actually if you come in and somebody had said what plane do you want and actually you know we're going to be able to change the plane you can pull a bit off and stick some new wings on it and give it a jet engine and you like and you can color it in it's like oh my god do you know if it actually it's a designing and coming up with the idea of the plane is great you still have to go through the steps to, to build the damn thing yeah but actually, waterfall was always we will go and build, we will go and do this, then we'll see the outcome. Actually, what agile does is it makes sure we'll think about what the outcome is right at the beginning and say how we're going to get there. And I think that's the that's the shift and the change.
0: Maybe we need to add Wagile to the eggs for, for, for the future. That's <laughs> definitely um, definitely a new buzzword for it us. It is. It is right. Let's move on to the final final egg of the day.
1: Final egg of the day. I
0: like that. Yeah. Pink one again. Robotics. Robotics. Okay. Excellent. So. Robotics is a term I think has a, has a few meanings, and we we hear a lot about software robotics in today's like IT industry. So, do you think um, when when the term is thrown around in the IT world, do you think it is software that people are talking about these days robotics, as in RPA, robotic process automation? That yeah. is the most common definition for robotics now. I
1: think so. Yeah. I think so. I think it's still very much a, a supply chain thought process. So actually, um, when it when I actually opened the egg and it said robotics, I do think RPA, but actually, to my mind, I'm, I'm seeing a car being built in a Nissan yeah. center in Sunderland, for example. Yeah. So it still very much has that kind of manufacturing element to it. But in, um, in my previous life at Computer Center, we actually did some work with RPA around Blue Prism and actually implemented automation around um, starters and levers processes and um, for a number of companies, because actually, as you can imagine, if you're a multinational, the amount of people starting and leaving is huge. And, and the process is exactly the same, in the same way that that car gets built in exactly the same way. And where a human doesn't have to step into a car to put something in and a robot can do it, actually it does drive up a significant amount of efficiency mm-hmm. in, in some respects. So I think it's interesting when you, we all talk about robotics, we, we actually think of something physical. Yeah. But actually when you look at RPA, it's not physical. It's, it's computational. It's, in essence, it's just a, a, a standard process reiterated over and over and over again and, and, and completed in a standard way over and over
0: and over again. There's work to do, isn't there? Though, because the people still like the old-fashioned definition of robot robotics. It, it carries negative connotations for a lot of people. They, you know, they immediately start thinking about, you know, robots taking over jobs. That is. It's almost like a big PR kind of battle that the industry has to convince people that actually automation is freeing people up to do better things, as he said there. Yeah, not, it is. N- I not mean, just taking away their jobs.
1: No, without a doubt. I mean, and we only have to look back at the car industry. I mean, uh, an industry. Um, one of my one of my close friends actually works for Toyota up in Derby, and and if, if you obviously if you have a look at the Japanese way of things like Kaizen, for example, which is no wastage you know, and the way that they've been able to look at every single step of that process of designing a car and delivering a car and getting out hundreds of cars each day and then looking at the best way, there is still a huge amount of people involved in that task. And actually the people are involved because of not just their specialist skills, it's their ability to put things in places that robots can't do, but their ability to react, their ability to actually think, while things are automated, mistakes still happen. And you have to then be able to react to those. And we're still not at a stage, despite what people tell me about machine learning, that the ability to react to something that wasn't expected, do you know? And that's because machine learning enables you to react to something that was expected. Yeah. The ability to react to something that wasn't expected is still best done by a human. And you can see by the employee base of Toyota, for example, how many employees that they have. But actually their efficiency is they're using robotics and process automation where it fits. And that's the best way to kind of implement it inside an
0: organization. Final question, as a technologist, how frustrating is it when you see the headlines in the mainstream media about robots, robots, AI, <laughs> robotics taking people's jobs and striking fear into people and making them worries. That must be, because that's been going on for years. But you know, you know, the conversations that we have paint quite a different picture, don't they?
1: Yeah, I, I saw an article yesterday saying 25 um, percent of all jobs today will be eliminated by 2050. Yeah. Um, and we—it's so much more nuanced than that, isn't it? It is. It, it's. It's. I, I don't want to say it's a lazy journalism because it's unfair. <laughs> you know, it is. A, it's a headline that grabbed me, and I wanted to go and read the report. So I've got to say that actually, it's good journalism. But the reality of it is, if if it's it's about understanding what the benefits are going to be what we now need to do in terms of education. So if 25% of those jobs are going to be eliminated, that's wonderful. Actually, now what do I need to do in terms of educating my workforce at a younger generation? So they're now coming through doing more critical thinking rather than actually moving people more into manual jobs. So that's a bit that's really exciting for me is let's plan for it happening, but then let's put things in place so we can then use people in a a better way. So I think, um, yeah, there's always going to be headline grabbing. But I
0: also like the fact that it it makes me sit and think of going. how can I use this better in in, in a different way too? Yeah. Well, Lee, thank you very much. We've um, covered a good range of topics there, I think. I hope you enjoyed the chat. I did, Ben. Thank you. And, yeah, thanks very much. We'll speak soon, hopefully. Great stuff. Thank you. Cheers. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief. The latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now
1: at digitalbullet.in